pray before we start. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that even when we are confused, you are not. And uh, we thank you that your word has everything that we need to know, everything for life and godliness. There are things that, Lord, we must learn by observation, but they always must be dragged back to the scriptures to see if we're seeing things correctly. So bless our time together in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so if you take your Bibles, uh, let me just introduce this by saying uh, Jay Adams has highlighted a problem. If biblical counseling, and it is, is discipleship, then the question is how can you counsel someone who's not a believer? And we know from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, the non-believer can't understand the things of God. They're closed to him or her. They're, they're, they're blind to it. Romans 8 tells us not only can they not understand the word of God, they can't submit to it. So if the person can't really understand what God is saying, and they can't submit to it, even if they did, then how can we counsel them? We can't. We can't counsel or disciple someone into the image of Christ if they're not in Christ. And so Romans 1 and 2 make this clear, as well as Romans 8. Let's, Romans 1 and 2, you realize that. What, what does Paul say in Romans 1? The Gentile, the person who didn't grow up around the Old Testament at that time, uh, the, the non-believer, what? They go to hell. Apart from God, they suppress the truth. There's enough, there's enough as we look out at the grass and we look at the sky and we look at even our own bodies, there's enough there to say there must be a living God. But it's not enough to save us. Okay. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, the Jews have what? The scriptures. <clears throat> but do they keep it? No. What happens to them? They go to hell. So in chapter 3, Paul says, well, then what good is it to be a Jew? He says, well, much in many ways. First of all, they have the word of God. And he goes on his argument there. All fall short of the glory of God, but they're freely justified by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So that's what we learn. Wonderful. But Romans 8, just to capture again, to read what I just said, 1 Corinthians, uh, the spiritual man discerns all things, but he's not judged by anyone. Romans 8 after talking about justification and the freedom that we have in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, what? Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit, Holy Spirit that is, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what? It can not. That's not Scipione's opinion. That's not just Reformed uh, theology thinking. That is God's word. The non-believer cannot submit to the will of God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, um, if our goal, which should be to glorify God, and for the person to grow in grace and have what? Love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, right? You, you can't tack an apple on a tree and make it an apple tree. So, that's the condition. So, um, there it is. You know, well, again, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 18 through 2, 16, bear this out clearly. And so I want to do what I did, uh, sort of give the talk I gave at an ACBC conference a couple of years ago, which is you must not, and, and it was how to counsel unbelievers. Okay, and that's what I'm going to give you now. And I had two main points, and we're going to cover them right now. One, you can't, must not counsel an unbeliever. The second point is, you must counsel an unbeliever. Okay? So you think, Scipione, you're crazy, you're contradictory. No, I'm just trying to be biblical. Okay, I'm teasing. I'm serious about that, but here is what I mean. Proverbs 26, turn with me. Okay, you know, the Proverbs are interesting. They're usually just little bullet points. Um, Jay Adams used to call them like kind of hard candy. You know, you take a proverb, you suck on it for three hours every which way till it kind of, you know, you get all kinds of things out of it. Uh, but there are some times when the proverbs have uh, whole sections that are together. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 4, we read this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you... Be like him. Five, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What is it? All right, on the surface, they seem totally contradictory, don't they? Nope, they're complementary. Okay? It's the way you do this. So the core of the problem is clear. The natural man needs to drop the hypocrisy and repent. Amen? In Matthew 23, Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees, this was the, this was the key problem. And this is true for all those outside of Christ. Some, obviously, are more knowledgeable of the word than others, but they're still outside of God. Now, uh, again, it's a long section, and I won't read it all, but Jesus starts out, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long, and they love the place of honor and feast, the best seat of synagogues and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have a fa- one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah or the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The biggest problem with the unbeliever is he or she is not humbled before God. Without regeneration, things will get worse. Amen? Biblical counseling can be dangerous in the sense that it can harden people. If a person is not a believer, the fact that you present the gospel can harden that person, but we still have that obligation. Again, in Matthew, Matthew 12, 43 through 45, all this is in your notes, if you want to review that later. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, and I actually use these in counseling with non-believers and trying to tell them what I'm accomplishing. 43 to 45, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, is Jesus speaking, it passes through what? Waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And what? The last state, or the latter state, I think in the King James, of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. Jesus uses this and applies it to an individual as well. So the point is, things get worse. Things can get worse. Without regeneration, this is true. Luke chapter 11, I think, is the other reference. Um, Luke 11, 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, same teaching, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So obviously, Luke and Matthew recording the same thing. And and Jesus applies it to individuals and whole uh, generation, the generation that rejected Messiah. And so we need to remember this balance, not contradictory, but complementary. Jesus, okay, therefore we must seek a solution that can only come from God himself. Jesus' method as evidence in the gospel, particularly John, the gospel applied to individual in an individual manner. Paul's method as seen in Acts and his epistles Paul says, I become all things to all men, that by all means I may save some. 
So to the Jew, I become a Jew. To the Greek, I be, you see, I mean, he, he adjusts his evangelism, but it's always Jesus. Uh, let's go back to Jesus, particularly an example. Uh, I do this in the intro course, but just a quick review here. Uh, most of you haven't had my intro course, but how do you, you some, some, someone has, anyway. Uh, bottom line is, how does Jesus evangelize? Think about that in the Gospel of John. Very interesting. I think it's one of the minor proofs, uh, indirect proofs, that Jesus is God. Remember in, in, in chapter 2, he's at the first you know, Passover. He cleanses the temple. He does miracles. And then he says what? John records, many believed in him, right? But he did not, what? Entrust himself to them because he knew all things. He knew it was a man's heart. He knew it was a temporary faith. It wasn't a real faith. It was a temporary faith in the miracles and not in him as Messiah. And then the first indication of that is what? Chapter 3, Nicodemus. Remember? He comes in, and, and uh, how does Jesus evangelize him? Direct or indirect? Pretty direct, isn't it? You know, you must be born from above. How can I be, you know, you know the whole thing. Well, no, 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 no. Born of the water and spirit. Well, what's he talking about? It's obviously, it's Ezekiel 36. Okay? Because that's where it talks. I'll take you from the nations, take out a heart of stone, put a heart of flesh in you, and I'll wash you with clean water and what? I'll put my spirit in you and write my law in your heart and you'll walk in my ways. That's what he's referring to because he later says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Okay? And, and, and on top of that, uh, the next thing that he says is what? The, don't be surprised. It's like the wind. Now, you know, in Hebrew and Greek, it's what? Hebrew and Greek words, uh, ruach in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek, have a threefold uh, reference. It can be wind, breath, or spirit. Okay? And and that's what he, I think that's Ezekiel 37. Well, these dry bones, you know, prophesying them. So all that imagery is from the Old Testament, and he's saying to Nicodemus, look, I'm the serpent lifted in the wilderness. See, all this is Old Testament reference, right? So he's evangelizing but he knows he's not born again. Chapter 4, woman at the well. Is that direct or indirect? Mm, direct? How many think direct? A couple hands. How many indirect? The rest of you won't vote. You don't trust me. You know a teacher's trying to trap you. No. Okay, bottom line is why. It starts out indirect. Give, give me a drink of water. Wait a minute, you're a man, and you're a Jew, and you're, you're asking me, lady, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and I'd give you water, and you'd never thirst it. Whoa, give me this water. How are you going to, you know, he goes, it's very indirect until, you're right, he gets to the point, he goes, mm, go get your husband. Uh, I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with I said shack up from the pulpit once and my wife said, you can't say that. Okay. It's down south. You can't say that. Okay. The lady you're shack- the guy you're shacking up with isn't your husband. 
And what does she say? Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. What would you say to a guy that's told you everything you ever did? Remember, she goes into the city. He goes indirectly, but he gets where? To him. Bottom line again. I'm not only the serpent lifted up in the wilderness, I am what? I am the one who's greater than Jacob, greater than the swell, greater than your fathers. You Samaritans don't know what you're worshiping because salvation is of the Jews. But guess what? The day's coming and now is the father's, you know, that whole, you know, the whole scene. Okay? Man at pool of Bethesda, right? Do you want to get well? <laughs> what do you mean do I want to get well? I've been here for some, what do you mean do you know, Jesus is pushing him, okay? Okay, and eventually, you know, he comes back and he tells them it was Jesus. Last one is the man born blind, right? What's he do? Heals him, right? Doesn't even evangelize him. Waits till he gets kicked out of the synagogue and then he comes back. And all I'm saying is, you see in Jesus Christ, and that would be a wonderful study. I'm trying to convince one of my doctoral students to do a study on Jesus' method of counseling. You know, in the Gospel of John. Those personal encounters. The issue is, Jesus evangelizes Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the man at the pool, and the man born blind. He varies, but he always comes back to the bottom line, which is, I am the Messiah. You need to repent and believe. So there's a paradigm for us, okay? So, uh, and Paul's method, and, and if you look at Paul's epistles, he varies things, okay? Uh, and, and who was it? I was thinking it was uh, Tim Pasma said in his, uh, his uh, last workshop that I sat in on. Uh, the pastoral, uh, the scriptures have a pastoral theology. Everything comes from a pastoral view, and we need a pastoral hermeneutic. I think he's right. Well, then in your notes, you think the first main point, you must rely on the Holy Spirit. If a person who is in your counseling, and we'll get to the method, uh, if, if someone is in counseling in general, but particularly a, a non-Christian, however, they've been drugged in by a spouse, or we have this, I don't know if you have this, where someone says, oh, I got help over here, you need to go there. Well, they're not a believer, okay, and, and they come for counseling. Repentance and faith are gifts from God. And we saw that in 2 Timothy 2.22. Man of God must be gentle, able to exhort those who contradict. So perhaps God might grant the gift of repentance and faith. Ephesians 2, you're probably really familiar with that passage, but just to review it. A person comes in and this is their condition. So uh, prayer. I can't say this enough. I, I haven't heard enough about this, I think, we ought to have five or ten extra ones every ACBC conference on prayer. We all know this. It's, we're dead in the water without the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and we can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. He's not like a force that we can call. The bottom line is prayer. We need to pray, and, and people need to know we're not only the people that believe the Bible has the answers, we need to be people who are known as Christ has the answers. And because Christ is what? Alive and well in heaven, we need to petition him for the grace to change the person in front of us. Okay, So again, uh, that's another uh, workshop for another time. But you have to be a person who's going to pray. If you don't pray, I've said this often in my courses, 
Know what your results will be like? Seven sons of Sceva. Who all remembers them? Book of Acts. What happened? They got their butts kicked. Thank you. That was a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> they went, you know, they went in and said, in the name of Jesus, uh, uh, Paul's Jesus, and the demons go, we know who Paul is, and we know who Jesus is, but who the <clears throat> are you? And they go out of the house bleeding and naked. So I say, if you want to go out of a counseling room bleeding and naked, I'm going to go in there without prayer and without the Holy Spirit's power, and it'll happen. Maybe not literally, but the people will excoriate you and chew you out and spit you up in little pieces. You have to pray. Ephesians 2, again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now think about this. How many of you practice your counseling techniques in a cemetery? How many people <laughs> you do? How many people in the cemetery do your homework assignments? I want you to go home and read the Gospel of John. <laughs> okay? Uh, the person's gone. You were dead in your trespass and sin, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. There it is, your flesh, the world, and the devil. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Then, as someone called it, the greatest but in the Bible, but God. But God. So, repentance and faith are a gift. So if you're working with a non-believer, you have to always remember this, and even a believer too, without the Holy Spirit, no change. B, you must give hope. Tim was saying about that, hope, the hope of the gospel. People without hope, and that's what the little vignette of the gal in Bolivia, okay? La Paz is in Bolivia. I think our brother said Brazil, but I think it was, it's, it's a Bolivia, okay? What did she say? Got to give him hope. Christ is the Savior, not you. He alone can pour out the Spirit on the counselee. So give him the hope of the gospel. He won't turn anyone away. If you come to him, you humble yourself on the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you at the due time. And I'll spend time on this to see. You need to evangelize through the means of the problem. Does that make sense to you? So in other words, a person comes, you know you can't disciple them, you can't change them, you know they're not going to go anywhere, you know, again, that things could get worse. Right? Think about this one. It's not in your outline, I don't think. But What do you get when you get a non-believer without the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? What's the best results you can get? Unbelief, okay, but... Exactly! <laughs> right? We had a whole generation with the, with the Word of God but no power of the Holy Spirit. And we have what? Pharisees that wanted to kill Jesus. So, uh, you have to evangelize through the problem, which is to tell them two things. One, and I, I use this in counseling. One, this is, you've got to know what God wants you to do. And two, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. 
He has to do it from the heart, not just outwardly. So I warned people. I said, look, you know, uh, the Surgeon General has determined that what? Smoking can be dangerous. I say the great physician has determined that Phariseeism, you know, can be, you know, dangerous to your spiritual health. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit and true conversion, the unbeliever will be using God as what? You can fill in your example. My favorite example is a vending machine. You all know what a vending machine is, right? Do you do? Just nod yes, I know you're still awake, okay. Okay, a vending machine. What happens when you put your money in the vending machine and the vending machine doesn't give you what you have ordered? You're all laughing. You what? You get angry and then what do you do? You kick the machine or you shake the thing. Probably cursing at the same time, right? How many people treat God like a vending machine? Hmm? I put in my prayer, I did this, I pushed the button and <clears throat> nothing came out. And I still remember when I was teaching at Westminster, California, they had a vending machine, one of the spiral, you know, the thing would be in the spiral, and never came out. So you'd always see four students picking, shaking the machine, you know, till the thing dropped down, okay? That's what people do. My, my pastor I worked with in California, Roger Wagner, his favorite illustration is this, spare tire. It's a great illustration. Most people treat God like a spare tire. Uh, do you think about your spare tire? No, it's in your trunk, out of sight, out of mind. And when's the only time you think about it? When you get a flat tire. What do you do? You take out the tire, or probably it's one of those little donuts now, you know. You put that thing on, you limp into this thing, you get it fixed or get a new tire, and then what happens to the spare? Back into the trunk, and you don't give it another thought again. And so a lot of people, the non-believer, will treat God as a spare tire. So I'll use those illustrations, I'll talk about, and I'll say, look, out of love, we don't charge for counseling. It's a ministry of the Word of God. In my case, it's the school, uh, but the church pays me to, to freely give the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. But I have to warn you that, you know, this could harden you. I'll use other examples. I say, sir, and we'll get back to this. Uh, how do you evangelize a guy that's not treating his wife right? You need to treat your wife the way Christ, you know, treats the church. Because if you don't know Christ, you won't know how to do that. But here's the deal. If I tell you, go get the little lady some flowers and stop beating on her, okay, you'll probably, things will probably go better. But what will happen is about three months from now, she'll do something, you'll get upset, you'll pop her again, and guess what? You'll come back and you'll say to me this classic words, I tried it, but it did not work. So you have to warn people, and that's what I mean. You're, you don't want them to think that God is a vending machine or a spare tire. Or my other favorite illustration now is, and I think even Christians do this. Uh, you all know Mr. Potato Head? You all know, you all know what Mr. Potato Head is? Nobody? Okay. It's the kids game, right? And you have a whole bunch of plastic eyes, ears, nose, you know, whatever. And you take the potato, right? 
You put in the things and then you have what? A potato in your own image. (laughs) Don't Americans do that? It's AA all over again. God, however you view him to be. And and Krishna, oh, I love love. Oh, I love that attribute. Mercy, love that. Give me two of those. Double mercy, okay? Uh, Holiness. Oh, wait a minute. Judgment, holiness, don't give me that stuff. Right? And so the non-believer will be Mr. Potato Head in God. And you need to just to say kindly to him, look, here, here's the real God. You know, I'll even say things I'll try to put in terms that they understand. Say, um, was God having a bad hair day or something when he nailed Jesus to the cross? That shows us how serious sin is. I mean, you don't think that it's a serious thing. God, that's how serious it was. So, so again, you, you have to gently confront them. The second thing is, you must give God's laws and demands and the gospel's grace, the call to repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. A, God's will, warn of the dangers of Pharisaic mechanistic attempts to keep the law. Matthew 23, what we said, the whole things you know about Pharisees. Say to them, Look, this is, a, this is exactly what you and other non-believers don't like about Christians. You say they're a bunch of hypocrites. There are a lot of hypocrites. They're really not Christians on God's terms, but they call themselves Christians. But the bottom line is they're really hypocrites. And so God's power warned them of a worsening grip of sin. Okay? The latter end can be worse. So you must rely on the Holy Spirit and you must give God's law and demands and the gospel's grace. And say to him, look, God's mercy comes to those who humble themselves before him. So it's going to come down to this. You have got to deal with God. I can't do it for you. Particularly, again, for people who come from uh, backgrounds with priests like Roman Catholic or others, they'll want you to do the work for them and you have to tell them, I'll pray for you, but you know you have to go to God on your own. Don't go without Jesus because you won't get in. <laughs> but you go with Jesus, you can have your sins dealt with. Okay. And so thirdly, your manner must be incredibly patient. I mentioned 2 Timothy. Let me just read that again. Uh, just let these verses ring in you. Uh, Non-Christians will come up swinging. They'll mock you. They'll do a lot of different things. Um, I remember this when I was a 13-year-old taking water safety, you know, lifeguarding. Um, They'll tell you, never approach a drowning swimmer from the front because they'll take you under with them. Always sneak up behind. So I remind my students, never approach a drowning sinner from the front because they'll take you under with them. Okay, so sneak up behind and gently give them the gospel. Uh, 2 Timothy 22, uh, to the, and so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's, and this has got to be my verse, 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Gentleness, kindness. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. Verses uh, 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight, the fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives a life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the attitude you have to have. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So interesting. Reprove people, you rebuke them, you exhort them, but how? Patiently like you would with a child. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy teaching and will have itching ears, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So some practical application, then I'll open up for questions the last few minutes. Um, Husband and wife. So if a person is a non-believer, you say, you can't do this, but by the grace of God, but this is what you need to do. Husband, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And so you begin to teach that, and then you say, look, without the Holy Spirit, you won't be able to do this. Not only need to know what God wants you to do, this is his will, but the power to do it. If you don't know the love of Christ... How are you going to give it to your wife? For the wife, okay, especially in this day and age, you need to submit to your husband. You know what you're talking about? This, this is 2018. What are you talking about? He's some caveman or what? I mean, well, you know, ma'am, if, if you knew what submission to Jesus Christ frees you, then you'd understand that submission to duly uh, ordained authority, uh, you can protest when they're doing something wrong, but to submit doesn't kill you, right? Because your submission to Christ is what frees you. See what I'm saying? So, so through the issue, parents, child, 
employees. Okay? This is a tough one. Slaves, be submissive to your own masters. Not just the good ones, but also to the perverse ones. Why? Because this is what Jesus did. So, so if you take a beating for doing what's wrong and patiently endure it, that's no favor. But if you do what's right and you're punished for it wrongfully and you endure it patiently, this pleases God. Why? Because you're being like Jesus Christ, who when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He didn't utter any threats, right? But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. See, that's the, that's the key. You see, that's the problem. Jesus could do that. You can't. Why? Because he was submitted to the Father. He knew what? That the judge of all the earth will do what's right. He, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's hard with it. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. But that's what you're called to be. See, that's craziness to people today. Got Jay Adams' little book, How to Overcome Evil. You know, don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. But why should I do that if there's no ultimate judgment? Okay? Now, friends, you're not the Holy Spirit, I'm not. So at times, all you can do is what I call gospel grenades. Take a Bible verse, pull the pin, roll it under the person, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will explode it at some point. So. That's, that's my graphic illustration for thing. I'll give you an example of that in terms of witnessing. It wasn't counseling per se, but uh, <clears throat> when I lived in San Diego, uh, uh, we had it somewhere on the East Coast, and I went through Atlanta. I was flying Atlanta back to San Diego after then NANC, which is now ACBC Conference. And uh, sitting on the plane, because of health reasons stuff, I always liked the aisle. So I'm sitting in the aisle. There's an empty seat, and there's a woman on the you know, on the window seat, okay? I'd be friendly, right? I don't know about you. I, I just like to be alone sometime. So I got to pray when I go on a plane. God, help me to really care. <laughs> yeah. So I start talking. I introduce myself, you know, and I said, hi. And she introduced herself. And she, hey, you know, I'm George Scipione, you know, and what do you do? Well, I said, um, I'm a Presbyterian minister. She said, well, I hate Presbyterians. Done anything yet? So I can't. I said, "Why?" So you believe in hell? Now I know. A, she must have got a Bible-believing Presbyterian like me, not a liberal Presbyterian, because you know, talk about hell. Okay, doesn't like it. Okay, so I get finding out. And here's it's a true story. I don't. All these stories, people think I make. I don't. They're they're just true. God gives me stories. Okay, so so I say, "What do you do?" Well, I'm a licensed uh, psychotherapist, and my practice is with what women who are abused physically and sexually. Husband was a Navy psychiatrist, okay? Okay. So that sort of shut our conversation down for a while. Somewhere over a red state, you know, it was probably Kansas or something, we're we're flying. And I turned to her and I said, "Uh, could I, I hope you won't be offended, but could I say something? She said, why? I said, let me tell you why you need the doctrine of hell. Why? She wasn't happy. I go, what do you tell these ladies? Well, what do you mean? So what do you tell them? What if the guy never gets caught? What if he's never punished? What if justice isn't done? What do you say? She goes, um, so at least I can say the guy's in hell. 
And I, I wish I could tell you she'd get down on her knees and say, I repent, please, Jesus. No, she didn't do that. That's Hollywood. But she said something I'll never forget. She said, I never thought of it that way. You see? So, so when you're counseling someone who, I, I, I can never forgive that guy. Okay, okay, here's one of my favorite ones, okay? This is not just for uh, believers, unbelievers rather, but um, sometimes you have to give them the same truth. Here's, here's one that's become a scary but favorite verse of mine to read with people in that situation. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs 24. Okay, great stuff there. If you do, verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. If you say, behold, we do not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his works? I used to quote that a lot in the pro-life movement, but okay, here it is. Down to 15. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in the time of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and he be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Then that's when I quote Princess Bride again. You know, my name is Montoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. You know, at the end of the movie, he's sitting on the ledge, and he turns to the dread Priot Roberts and goes, you know, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what to do with myself. It's a great line. I say, okay, get out of the revenge business. Let God tear him to shreds. You see, so, so again, for the unbeliever, you say, look, God has grace for you. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you the power to handle this. But you have to do it his way. Yield it to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense to you. So that's how you counsel an unbeliever. You give him the gospel, and you give him the law and the gospel and the commands. Uh, I won't take time because we're at the end. I said I'd leave time for questions, but um, if you'll indulge a Presbyterian you know, to talk about the larger catechism, um, uh, it's, a, it's a treasure trove of, of wisdom, and you can skip to those of you that don't believe in infant baptism, skip that stuff and and just the other stuff, same, same as the 1689 Confession, okay? But there's uh, these questions that are very interesting. You can even use these in counseling. Questions 91 and 93, I won't read the answers. What is the duty that God requires of man? And what did God at first give, reveal to man as the rule of his obedience? And what is the moral law? The moral law is the declaration of the will of God to mankind, directing and binding everyone to personal, perfect, perpetual conformity and obedience thereunto in the frame and disposition of the whole man, soul and body, and performance of all those duties, goes on. Then it's interesting, it says, of what use is the moral law to all men? And then, what is particular use of there to the moral law to the unregenerate men? and then to regenerate. So the point is, it goes in and says, look, this is how you can take the Old Testament law, the moral law of God, and apply it to an unbeliever. To what? 
teach him to flee from the wrath to come and to push him towards Christ and to see that he can't keep the law himself. The only possible way is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so these are things that you can use with non-believers. And uh, uh, by God's grace, hopefully, you don't answer a fool according to his folly, but you answer according to his folly so he's not becomes wise in his own eyes. But you plead gently with him. So uh, may the king grant you fruit from your labors and for your labors uh, to these people. So any questions at this point before we're supposed to end right about now uh, and take a break? But questions on evangelizing or a particular issue that you might want to bring up that, that I could try to address? Okay, uh, okay, I'm going to pray. Let us go a little bit early, but here's the deal. If you have a question about a particular person or a particular relative, come up and talk with me, and I'll be glad to, to try to give you whatever little wisdom I might have. Father in heaven, uh, we long, Lord, there's some people I can think of right now that I've been working with. It's no longer counseling, Lord. It's really just a, uh, an evangelistic discipleship, trying to plead with them to come to Christ and give up their false religion or their false atheism. Oh, Lord God, be merciful to us. Uh, We really can't counsel. Uh, We can evangelize, but we can evangelize them through their issues for the glory of God and their good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.